0: Welcome to the Fuck Saving Face Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Tsui, and together we'll explore mental and emotional health for Asian Americans and beyond, all by breaking through taboo topics. Life may not always be pretty, but it is indeed beautiful. Let's make your story beautiful today. So for this week, and for the next two weeks following this, we will be talking about S-E-X, Now, if you grew up in a household like mine, where you were raised by two very, very traditional Asian parents who had a lot of tiger parenting, then you never, ever, ever talked about sex. And my parents could not sign the waiver fast enough for me to have sex education at school, so they'd never have to address it with me, which was always fun because it meant that there's this whole area of sensuality and personal exploration. And even when I got my period, That I couldn't talk to them about because it was so unmanageably uncomfortable. And, you know, I didn't have the words to be able to communicate with them anything. So, if you're thinking that your kids are not going to be having sex and if you can be stern and strict and that's how it's going to happen, then no. I mean, how many of your friends do you know who had very strict parents and by the time they went off to college, they totally went balls out, you know, partied so hardcore, dated all the people? Just explored in all the ways that they weren't allowed to explore. And for me, as a writer, as a storyteller, I'm always endeavoring to give people the words that they need to express the things that they're feeling, but didn't have the vocabulary to express in the ways that are most meaningful to them. And that's what I'm hoping to do with the next three weeks of episodes. That today you'll hear a bit of sharing from my own manuscript. So this is part of the book proposal. As I've mentioned, if you're following me in season two, My book, The Little Book of Tibetan Rights with Simon and Schuster with Ulysses Press is coming out in early 2022. So that's the first foray. And then the next thing that I'm doing is I spent the last six months developing a book proposal for a memoir. And that's what I'm shopping around to agents right now. So in the book proposal, you have to have a sample chapter or two. And I spent a lot of time working on this one specific sample chapter that I'll read a snippet of for you here. So you can get a sneak preview for everyone that I know who's gone and written a book, uh, it turns out to be very different in the end, you know, your final product versus the draft that you send out. So I'm curious as to see what all is going to happen in this journey of me really working through different elements, because if it's a memoir, then it's me sharing my personal stories. And I realized as of late that I like being able to shine the light on other people. I like attention enough shown on me just to have, you know, respect and honor and encouragement. But when it is fully me in the spotlight, I'm not fully sure how I feel about it. So I think that that's played in energetically to how big my platform has grown. One of the pieces of feedback is if you are going to pitch memoir, you have to have a pretty big platform. You have to be, you know, a huge influencer, a notable figure, you must have done something that's gained some notoriety, so these are all things that I'm working through, and as I mentioned to you at the start of season two, i'm going to be sharing with you parts of this journey so if there is an endeavor that you're looking to pursue, whether that's you're also writing a book or you know you have another personal passion dream that you want to go after, then I hope that you know that you're not alone, that it can be very vulnerable it can require so much tenacity and resilience and bravery and courage to just even show up for yourself, much less to show up for the world with your purpose, to serve if one person or one million people, however many people who are meant to become connected to your purpose and your light. I always encourage everybody to shine because the brighter that you shine, The more you illuminate the path for others, the more that you give other people the permission to do the same. And what would it feel like if we all gave ourselves permissions to shine in the ways that really resonate with our hearts or that make us come most alive, that shed whatever expectations were placed on us that we didn't necessarily sign up for or don't agree with, aren't aligned with? What would that feel like? And I highly encourage you to stay tuned for next week when I feature an interview with Francis Tang, the founder of Awkward Essentials. I highly encourage you to go to their website right now and watch the Twinkie video, Frances's humor. She really uh, used that to come through in all of the branding and marketing, which is phenomenal. And she's in this niche called crotch care, which you'll learn more about next week. And then after that, we'll do a mindfulness practice because for me, I'm raising a young girl. And in this chapter that I'm going to be reading to you, you'll see how I experienced shame from a very early age. And if you listen back in season one to Rahi Chun's interview about sexual somatic work, he really takes you through your journey into adulthood about all the trauma that you may have experienced, all the messaging that you may have received to inwardly integrate that shame and how to extrapolate it, how to heal that for yourself. So as I'm raising a young girl, there's an amazing Instagram account called Sex Positive Families. They're based in Austin, Texas, which also has a space near and dear to my heart because we live there. You'll be able to see these conscious ways in which you can have the languaging and have the guidance to teach your own children or you know anybody who you have influence and who you might be a mentor to, to reframe this experience about sexuality, sensuality, pleasure, I think that that's so important as a person, that pleasure is a natural state. And if we could start to learn to honor that for ourselves, what would that look like? And how would that feel? So I hope that I'm encouraging my young daughter to have a healthy relationship, that these awkward conversations that we may have in the future perhaps won't be so awkward if We can start having them now. And so I name her body parts exactly what they are vulva, vagina, anus, all of these things, which were so weird to come out of my mouth in the very beginning when I first became a mother, because those were not words that I was taught or normal. I mean, how many times have you heard the joke around your anus or anything like that? It's still a little bit weird to me, but I'm hoping that in being able to name and identify different body parts, that you can then own that and that, you know. There doesn't need to be shame around pleasure and that if you're leading a forward-thinking, confident human being, an individual, that you can do it in a way that respects your body, that respects relationships, that respects physical intimacy. And I'm just curious as to how that will all unfold because it will be very different than the experience that I had growing up. So as I mentioned, this is a section of the sample chapter that I submitted and it's not going to be the whole thing, but you will get a glimpse into what my experience was around sex or pleasure and why we can all start having more honest conversations with one another. The reason that I love the women who are my friends now, all of us moms, surfers, you know, entrepreneurs, whatever it is that we can, we always drop in immediately into the real conversations and it's so refreshing. And so wonderful to be so connected and to not feel that those tender areas or the things that we may feel embarrassed by, they're all just part of the human condition and we all share them. And man, oh man, do we laugh a lot. So it's one of the things I'm so grateful for, for my life here now in San Diego. So without further ado, here is the chapter. <laughs> my mother demands. I am rubbing my pelvis against the purple carpet of the big room in our house, which also happens to be my parents' bedroom. The quote-unquote big room is the largest room in our West Los Angeles home, complete with trendy wooden beams on the ceiling that we'd later discover were all sorts of wrong when it came to feng shui. Things always go sideways in the big room. 你在做什么? My mother yells at me. What are you doing? I stop moving my body. What was I doing? I hold my breath. 你在做什么? what are you doing? I don't know. I'm lying on my belly, rubbing my pelvis forward and backward in front of the TV. I like the way it feels. It feels really, really good. Is she mad that I'm watching TV? We aren't supposed to be watching TV on the weekdays, but our Mexican housekeeper, Tanya, is there, so I thought I could sneak in a little TV since it wasn't really me who was watching. I wait for instructions. Then she I stand up. I quickly push myself up. Tanya, the wife of one of my father's undocumented immigrant construction company employees, lives with us Monday through Friday, and goes back to her husband and children on Sundays. She has high arch bangs held in place by Aquanet and darkly penciled eyebrows. She keeps her eyes focused on the soap opera playing on the television screen before us. How could you think to do this? this?那么恶心? Disgusting. I keep my eyes down. When my parents yell at me, I'm not allowed to look them in the eyes, because if I do, they think that I'm challenging them, unless of course they tell me to look at them, in which case if I don't, I get in even more trouble. My mother has never seen me do this thing before, but based on her reaction, whatever I'm doing is bad. Tanya hadn't said anything before, even though I'd done this once or twice around her. Why hadn't she told me that this was something I wasn't supposed to do? I didn't hear my mother come home. I usually keep my ears on alert because we're not allowed to close the doors in our house, so if I do anything that's a little questionable, I make sure to know how to run and hide. Tanya can't speak Mandarin, even though she's picked up a few words from my grandmother. They laugh together when she tries to pronounce nai for milk to feed my youngest brother. This time, though, she seems to know exactly what my mother is saying because she starts gathering up the clothes she was folding very quickly. I try to look at Tanya while my mother is yelling at me, but Tanya won't turn her body towards me. She puts the last few items of laundry into the plastic hamper. I want Tanya to put me in the basket and carry me away with her, the way she sometimes puts my youngest brother in it and whisks him up and around, but I know that's silly. I keep my eyes looking down and catch the sight of Tanya's ankles shuffling quickly out of the room, her blue jeans cuff tight. I imagine her walking as far away as she can to the other side of the house, straight into her own room. I bet she closes the door. She leaves me to my mother more shing. my mother repeats, shaking her head. I won't ever learn the Mandarin word for masturbate. Six months later, I catch my parents having sex in the big room. I wake up from a bad dream and want their help. I'm in fourth grade. My parents' door is slightly ajar. I can hear the quiet murmur of the television. Since my siblings and I aren't allowed to watch TV on the weekdays, I think they're being a little hypocritical. The light of the television emanates from the room and widens as I push the door open a little bit more. It makes no sound on the carpet as it swings inwards. There, on their queen size bed parallel to the TV, my father is having sex with my mother, going to town missionary style. My mother's gaze looks past me towards the TV. Her short black hair moves in response to the rhythm of my father's pulses. She looks dead, comatose, completely uninterested. Everything is covered in a pale blue hue. I walk in. Whatever sound my nine-year-old body makes finally gets their attention. My father leaps off my mother and quickly covers himself with a comforter. Tsumogalda, my mother asks, startled, what's wrong? I had a bad dream, I say, pretending to be bleary-eyed so they won't realize how much I've seen. I could have turned around. I had enough time before they saw me. I could have gone back to bed when I realized what they were doing, and they never would have known I was there. It could have been my secret, but I don't want to carry any more things I shouldn't know about. My body begins to move forward. Summa, my mother says. She turns her head up, diagonally towards me. What? And I am walking towards their bed, towards my semi-naked father, towards my mother, pulling her long cotton nightgown down towards her ankles under the covers. My mother hates being touched. I crawl into bed beside her. I curl my body to face her. I do this as though this is a normal thing we do, as though my parents are like those American parents I catch every now and again on Growing Pains or Small World or Life Goes On. Parents who obviously, overtly care. Parents who comfort their kids when they are disappointed about a school test grade or a baseball game they lost. But I have never done this before. We do not do this in my family. Sandwiched under the shared blankets now, their bodies freeze. They don't know what to do. I close my eyes. I pretend to sleep. I will not leave their bed, even though I actually want to. I've committed. This is it. I stay right there, in between them, awkwardly, until morning. I don't remember who gets up to turn off the TV. My parents frequently tell me that I am the rebellious one, that I am the one who keeps making all the mistakes. my mother says. You are so selfish, becomes the chorus to our conversations. She often starts or finishes her dialogue with me by telling me that everything about my presence is wrong. I don't know why I gave birth to you. She doesn't say this to my younger sister, who is just like her. She doesn't say this to my younger brother, the first son of the family. And she definitely won't say this to the baby, nine years my junior, with his adorable dimpled cheeks and good nature, who I, like everyone else, love so much. She only says this to me. When she busted me for rubbing myself against the carpet, my mother made me feel like feeling good in my own body was inherently wrong too just as much as my simply being in the world. When I catch my parents having sex, I see that pleasure isn't part of her vocabulary. She knows what obligation is. That's clear to me, even in fourth grade, just as much as it's obvious how opposite we are. Maybe her version of staying safe, of teaching me as a mother, especially in the company of men, is to remind me that life is hard and don't expect to feel good about it. That night, I wonder if she realizes that closing doors is just as much about keeping out what you don't want as keeping in what you do. So that's that. That's a portion of the sample chapter. There's so much more. If this was interesting to you, (laughs) and uh, if you've been following me, you know that I tend to be very authentic and transparent, but even this was a big deal for me to share and the reason that i'm sharing it is because i know that i'm not alone in remarkable or ridiculous or trying circumstances and that there are opportunities to change it around to shift it around that when i mentioned you know that i wanted to write a book and this was years and years ago before i moved to Kauai where i met my eventual husband now ex-husband and had my daughter that i said that you know i would be talking about things about our family and i was actually mentioning this to my mother and she said if it helps even one person, you should do it. I don't know if she had any idea of how in-depth I would get and how much I would share. So, I hope to goodness gracious that she doesn't regret saying that to me and that, you know, we still subscribe to this understanding that all of us have powerful stories, all of us have shame and guilt that we have healed through or need to heal through and that we can come through the other side better, wiser, healthier, stronger. If this story resonated with you, I'd love for you to join our community on Facebook. There's a private Facebook group called Fuck Saving Face, and I would be honored to hear your sharing and how this story, this experience of mine, potentially, you know, illuminated something for you. And as a means of support, if you enjoy this episode or learn something new please screenshot it and share it on Instagram stories. Tag me, tag Face. that's fuck without the U. And it helps us, me and my team, my incredible growing team of writers know that you like our content. I look forward to connecting with you next week when we speak with Francis Tang, who incidentally, based on the research that they've done, might be the only solo founder who has been backed by a VC who is Asian American, especially in the industry that she's in. So I encourage you to tune in and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can follow me on Instagram at Face, or have an honest conversation with me in my private Facebook group, Fuck Saving Face. That's fuck without the U. If you enjoy this work, please help support and sustain it. The best ways to do that are to share it with your friends and networks, subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platforms. And of course, through your thoughtful financial donations, you can buy me a coffee or treat me to lunch or share even bigger love at fucksavingface.com. Again, that's fuck without the you.